This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today we're going to look at trauma, a pastoral perspective on trauma. And I'll be talking with a friend of mine named Mari Milliken. Mari is a military chaplain, has a lot of experience in war zones. And the reason I wanted to speak with him about this is because I will be going to Uganda soon and have been quite involved with churches in Congo, eastern Congo, which is currently a war zone. Uh, many people are being persecuted in Congo, a lot of people being killed. Before I go any further, I want to say that today's episode is not for children. The content is going to be a little bit explicit, not terrible, but I don't think it'll be appropriate for kids. And if you have children with you right now, I encourage you just turn it off and wait until you have a chance to listen in private. Let me give you a little bit more background before we hear from Mari. I've been involved for the past several years with a ministry that's located in eastern Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And for years, that has been a very violent area, and recently it's become much more so. Quite a few people are being persecuted and murdered. There's a lot of brutality and evil in that part of the world. And the ministry that I work with has 14 churches located in that area. And I've been meeting with the pastors of those churches and helping them over the years. And soon I hope to go to Uganda, where these pastors and other church leaders will come out of Congo and meet with us in Uganda. And I wanted to talk to Mari to get his perspective and understanding on how to deal with trauma in war zones. And I want to tell you a little bit about Mari. He's a good friend. He was the associate pastor of my church when I lived in Austin many years ago. And he's now had a career as a military chaplain. And he's been on the front lines. And he knows a lot from his personal experience about how to go through some pretty severe trauma and how to help other people go through those traumas. And his perspective is pastoral. Also, I'd like to apologize for the quality of the recording. Maury and I met at a restaurant, and uh, as we were talking, I realized, oh, I'd like to record this, and so I just set my telephone down in between us and recorded it, so you'll hear a lot of background noise. Maury talks about trauma, and he goes into some other issues that relate to his work overseas, which is also very interesting. And after we've heard from Maury, I'll come back with um, sort of an afterword, some thoughts about three kinds of trauma and other scriptures that I think apply. Now, many of you may not be going through trauma of this sort, uh, where people are being killed, losing their lives, and brutality and evil just so obviously expressed physically. But I think there are good lessons to learn, very good lessons for us to learn, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. So now here's Maury talking about trauma. So the first thing you said was normalizing trauma. Say a little bit more about that than, than the second Okay, point. so my context is uh, military <clears throat> combat operations. And the first point is to realize that everybody's impacted by the trauma. 
of combat or what we call combat stress. Even if you're sitting at a desk in a tent, not necessarily out in the mountains or in the bush, engaged in active combat operations, you're still impacted. Everybody's impacted by the environment, the environment in which you are functioning combat operations. What we try to do is normalize that. Everybody here, everybody in our unit, everybody in our organization has been impacted by trauma. So that's point number one. So it normalizes it, it gets everybody on on the same page. So that's the first thing. It's not like we've got classes of citizens or classes of uh-huh. uh, traumatized persons. Every, everybody has some trauma. The second point is you can prepare for trauma. We call it resiliency. In the Army Chaplaincy, we call it spiritual resiliency. Yeah. There are ways to prepare your soul, your heart, your mind for the difficulties and the horrors of combat. It's more than prayer and scripture, although those are very valuable tools, but it's also your support relationships, building relationships, building a network of support of people that will, that love you and pray, will pray for you and encourage you and that you can talk to whenever you're experiencing trauma. It helps you prepare for that. Uh, and that can be both people on the ground that you're working with, but it can also be people back home or back the the people that sent you you know that can like your family you might need to reach out and talk to a family member the third thing is grief and loss Uh, in combat operations there are combat losses deaths soldiers KIA killed in action soldiers WIA wounded in action and that that is a loss it's a loss to relationships it's a loss to soul it's a loss that impacts you in the heart mind and soul and so preparing for loss is not always easy. Some people have not had any losses in their life, and they're young, and so they don't understand when a person is gone, when a person dies, and they're very impacted by that. Other people who have typically lived life a little longer and had some other losses are a little bit more prepared for the problem of loss and grief. But the important thing about loss and grief is to, because in the army we have to, we get to grieve for like 24 hours when we lose a soldier, but then we're back on mission. You know, we don't get to take six weeks off. We don't get eight weeks to go home and recover. We're back in mission. And so we're, that results in what we call being battle hardened. You get hard and you become emotionally numb to the combat trauma and the losses around you. Yeah. So would you consider that? A negative I would, or a necessity? I would say it's a necessity. It's, right. it's part of the resiliency. It's part of surviving the, the difficulties of, of, of trauma. Also, another thing we say is every new loss brings up an old loss. Every new grief brings oh. up an old grief. Oh. So psychologists talk about this as compounded grief. And you'll see this. You'll see a unit will lose a soldier and they will have grief and they'll be impacted. But then they'll lose three soldiers. Well, they're reminded of the first soldier they lost right. when they remember when they're when they're when they're caring for the three that are dying or have died, and then they'll lose another one, and it, all of that grief compounds. And it's so important that we learn to pay attention to the impact of grief on our souls, and that we talk about it, that we pray about it. 
that we be there for each other and listen to each other and help each other process our grief. Tell the story. What we like to say, tell the story. Tell me about your battle buddy. Tell me about your friend. And as they tell the story, it's a healing for them to be able to tell them about Johnny that died last week in a firefight who they went to basic training together and they're from the same hometown and they've known each other for years. So given that creating an opportunity for that soldier to tell the story about their, their comrade, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. is so important. I would say that that also directly correlates to coming home. Whenever you come back home from a combat operation or from a traumatic situation, everybody else around you is just living right. normal life, you know? Yeah, right. And it's difficult to fit back in. You know, there's people dying over there. And I'm supposed to just fit back into this normal, kind of mundane, non-eventful situation where people are complaining about their first world problems, you know? How high the price of gas is or something silly, you know? It just... That's frustrating. It frustrates people who've, who've, who are experiencing and dealing well, with right. trauma and loss and grief. Yeah, so coming home, it's very important that, again, we create space and relationship for people to tell their stories. And, to talk. and it's okay to talk about your feelings because soldiers are conditioned and trained. Don't talk about your feelings. Mm -hmm. your feelings don't matter. Push your feelings down. Mm -hmm. You know, almost almost robotic or machine-like. Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to go forth and you're going to obey orders and you're going right. to fight this fight. Well, these are human beings. These are souls we're talking about. Yeah. And so coming back, we, we, we try to really pay attention to soul. And when I'm forward deployed with these soldiers, I try to pay attention to soul there. Not just, you know, right. battle-hardened to the extent that I don't pay attention to my soul. An example of that, I can give you two examples. One, yep. I had a soldier, uh, I came into a tactical operations center and he was a first sergeant. And uh, I came around the corner, and uh, he was telling a story with some object in his hand. And uh, when I came around the corner, he put his hand in his pocket to hide what was in his hand, and he stopped talking. And I said, hey, First Sergeant, what's going on? Oh, 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 everything's good, sir. Everything's good. I said, really, what you got in your hand? He goes, oh, nothing. I said, oh, come on, man. I know you got something in your hand. What are you talking about? He pulls out his hand, and it's an ear. It's a human ear. And what had happened was this guy in placing bombs, IEDs, on the roadside had accidentally blown himself up, a bad guy. And the only thing they could find of this guy that was left was his ear. It's the only recognizable part of the human body they could find. And he said, I've been hunting these guys for six months, and this was all I could find. And I said, first, Sergeant, you know what? I understand what you're going through. I don't judge you for that, but let's do the right thing. You cannot walk around, carry that ear, and show soldiers that ear. We need to properly dispose of that over at the Combat Support Hospital and let let any investigation that needs to be conducted be conducted. But you didn't do anything wrong. You haven't done anything wrong yet, but if you keep going down this path, you will go down the slippery slope of moral compromise. You need to maintain your integrity do the right thing you know that we cannot confiscate body parts yeah. on the battlefield we have to turn those in all right so you need to turn that in but he was struggling for meaning struggling for why am i here what's my purpose i i can't kill the bad guys i don't ever see them because they're hiding they're blending in right and the only thing i got here is this ear 
So that's one example that comes to my mind of somebody who needed to pay attention to his soul. What is this doing to your soul, right, during combat operations? Another guy was a, he was a uh, was a major actually, and he was a intelligence officer, and he got frustrated, and he said, "Sir, I feel like we just need to practice grid square warfare." I said, "Grid square warfare? Well, what's that?" He said, "Well, the next time a certain village or a certain incident happens and they attack our guys, we just level the whole village." And I said, "Well, I understand your frustration. So again, you got you have to empathize with them. Right. Empathize with them. I understand your frustration. I understand your anger." But let's, let's look at the morality of that. You know, that was essentially tried in Vietnam, and there were war crimes committed, and that's not a good thing because you end up killing innocent people. We don't want to do that. So I understand what you're saying, but on the other hand, you as a major in the United States yeah. Army, you cannot go around saying things like that so that other soldiers hear you. So it's it's loving them, understanding them, not judging them, but calling them to, to account, holding them accountable. To be the leaders that they're yeah, called to be. What makes me think is that you're there to do that and you have the standing to say that kind of thing yeah. to somebody. Yeah. And You earn the right. You right. Earn, earn the right to do that. Right. And so when I'm going over to Africa, I need to think about my standing. But in, as far as it goes, Jesus has yeah. standing. And I need to be willing to say whatever he wants me to say. Amen. Amen. Um, and then I'll tell you one more story. Mike. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And this is related to my own combat trauma. I, I came home from my first deployment, thought I was fine. I wasn't. Came home from my second deployment, thought I was fine. I wasn't. And some, some incidents happened where I realized I needed to pay attention to my own grief, my own trauma, my like own loss. manifestations of your... Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I was crying yeah. a lot when I'd get alone. Yeah. I was isolating. I wasn't depressed, but I was just carrying so much grief from all of... The yep. combat losses, losses of two tours of duty. And I was riding my motorcycle. I was out on the, the prairie yeah. in the middle of nowhere, thinking I'm, I'm away from death. I'm as far away from death as I can get. And here I'm cruising along 75 miles an hour, and, and on the road comes a little a little duckling, a little oh. mother, mother duck out on the road. And what follows a mother duck? Little ducklings, right? So here comes mama duck, and here comes all her little babies behind her, and I couldn't stop in time. Oh. And I flew through the little trail of ducklings on my bike. I looked in my rearview mirror and I see the little wings flapping in the road where I've hit a couple of little ducklings. Mm-hmm. And I pulled over and I just broke down crying because yeah. I couldn't get away from death. Here I am still still experiencing death. Just a little duckling, but still it just triggered me, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized then I needed help. So I went to the VA, the Veterans Administration. They linked me up with a counselor and my counselor helped me so much. She said, Maury, what you've been through, what and what many soldiers go through is combat trauma, combat stress, and it impacts the brain as well as other parts of the body and the soul, but it definitely impacts the brain. And she compared it to a forest fire. Like if you've ever seen like Yellowstone National Park, these great swaths of beautiful forests that get devastated I've seen big forest fires. by yeah. fire, right? Yeah. And what it does, it just reduces everything to ash, you know? And that's what trauma does to the brain. And I think as Christians, we don't pay attention enough to the mental impact of trauma. It does impact the brain. And she said, but here's the good news. Given the proper conditions, that forest will recover from the fire. Mm-hmm. 
over time you'll see little trees start to sprout and grow because they still have good soil good Mm. nutrition good sunlight good water and they they thrive they grow the forest restores itself and she said maury given the proper conditions the brain has the capacity to heal itself Mm -hmm. even in the case of trauma now this has biblical support from romans chapter 12 the renewing of the mind biblical support there and she said what you need to figure out are what are the proper conditions for your mind your brain Uh to heal and recover and my little formula was faith hope and love faith in god love for my family and friends and then hope and then hope uh that that life will get better not worse right and even talking to her gave you hope i imagine yeah yeah so those things uh a lot of mine was talk therapy. I didn't do any medicine. I didn't take any drugs. I, yep. I, I just, I, I didn't want to do that. I was offered that. The army wanted to put me in a sleep study and give me a bunch of meds. And, no. You know, six months later, we'll reevaluate. I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, okay, I good. just want to go home to my family that loves me. Yeah. I want to go home to my religious community, my spiritual community that loves me. I need love. I need yeah. acceptance. I need yeah. support. Those people know me. And I just share that story because... Amen. I think given the proper conditions, when people have been through trauma, they can heal and they can recover. But when they're in it, when they're in it, going through it, just as much, again, as much love and support and encouragement we can give them, listening to their stories, letting them talk about their, their, their trials, their struggles, their traumas, that helps them when they're in the fight, so to speak. Yeah, uh, to pay attention to their own soul, their own worth, and it actually empowers them to continue the mission. Yeah, because these guys, they're going to be in it for years, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would think they would need time to come out. Well, that's what we were doing in Uganda, the, yeah, but it's take just a, a little, get a little bit retreat. Time. But even that little bit could just yep. be the yeah, break yeah, yeah. they need. You know, Tra- trauma can also be experienced by just seeing a dead body. Or seeing a mutilated body, or seeing a somebody who's been burned or beaten, or we call it vicarious trauma, because you you translate that to yourself and you imagine yourself with compassion being yeah. that person. Yeah, yeah. And some people are who are very very sensitive and very very compassionate. You know, people who have the spiritual gift of compassion. They yeah. gotta really be careful when uh-huh. you get in a in a war zone because you've got to have some self-protection and self-preservation and not lose yourself it vicariously through the trauma of others mm-hmm. you, you there you, there is that self-preservation factor self-care i guess is a good way to put it mm-hmm. you have to care for your own soul heart and mind so that the vicarious experience of other people's trauma does not so traumatize you that you become dysfunctional you can't function yeah because there's that scripture carefully guard your heart for there and flow the springs of life yes and that's kind of what you're talking yes. about it's like but you know the pastors we're going to meet with their that's daily yeah. life and they're yeah. going to go it's it's similar to being yeah. on the battlefield and they don't but they're not going to rotate out yeah, as far right, as we know right, yeah if they rotate out there's not even a pastor there anymore Wow. for the congregation yeah. and the congregation is they're still suffering yeah so the, sh- the flock can't come out right yeah. so the shepherd needs to yeah be in the middle of it. so it's tough this is really helpful and I'm realizing I need to make room if at all possible 
for those guys to talk to there me. There you go. There you go. You know? That's a real gift you can give them. The one thing I've learned about working with local nationals, because I'll, I'll be assigned interpreters that are from mm-hmm. from yeah. that that land, from that nation, from that area. They live there. Their families are there. Right. Their, their, right. their extended families are there. Their businesses are there. They care. That's why they're stepping up and willing to help us because yeah. we're trying to help them. Yeah. But whenever I ask them, how you doing? Of course, the answer is always, oh, I'm fine. Everything's great. I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, everything's wonderful. But really, they're not. Yeah. But it takes spending a little time with them yeah. to finally get to the place where I ask questions like, so how's your, how's your wife and kids? How are they doing? Tell me about your home life, you know? How are you handling all this sustained combat operations in your country for 10 years, 15 years, 18 years? What are, you, what are your thoughts about it? You know, questions that get them to open up a little bit and talk more right, about their right. own feelings and their and own it, So you've got to have a, a place where that can happen yeah. and time enough to get to the point. Yeah. And the relationship, you know, you know they really right. trust you. Yeah, they, well, they'll really open up and talk to you about it. Yeah, I have. I had a, a yeah. Serbian Christian interpreter mm-hmm. and a Muslim interpreter. Uh, what was, I was the in, Serb doing down there? It was in Kosovo. I was in Kosovo. Oh, I didn't know that. So okay. I was in. I was yep. deployed to peacekeeping operations in Kosovo. Yeah, we were in, in Bosnia Herzegovina, okay. Serbia. One day we climbed a mountain together. We climbed Mount Duke, it's called, <clears throat> in Kosovo, tallest mountain in uh, mm. that area. I, we just took a day. I, I took some of my guys and I took my interpreters. We call them Terps. I took my two Terps. <clears throat> and, I, and before we started the climb, I said, today is a spiritual pilgrimage for me. We're doing more than climbing a mountain. Because when we get to this top of the top of this mountain, I want to make a covenant with you. I propose a covenant. Oh. And I propose a covenant that... Even though we come from different religions, that that we as much as possible, as much as it is our ability, uh, we will not slander one another, we will not speak poorly of one another, we will not mistreat one another or people from our different religions, and we will not kill one another as much as it is to our our ability. <laughs> yeah, amazing thing to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, right. It's real though. And so we climbed the mountain. We got to the top of the mountain, and we had our, yep. our little. We made our little covenant, and uh, mm. we just held hands, three of us, on top of the mountain. That was the Serb and the, the Serb. Muslim yep. guy yep. and you. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I said, "May God be our witness and our judge, and may God give us the strength to uphold our covenant mm. with one another." And it was just a very. I don't know why I did that. I just, I just, I needed that. I, I needed. I needed accountability to not come away from all of my combat tours with hatred towards Muslims. Yeah, and then, yeah. Or hatred towards Serbs that mistreated uh, minorities in, in their country, you know, Christians, uh, mistreating other people. Yep. I, because of the Bosnian situation in the 90s, you know, I, I, yep. I didn't want to have any hatred in my heart. And that was, that was just the way that I dealt with it. Exactly. I was there in 2009 and 10. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, a decade or more removed from the, the the war. Yeah. But you still saw the the fallout, the consequences. Often I was sent into a village where they were having a dispute over garbage collection. How come the Christians, their, their gar- garbage gets collected, but the Muslims, their garbage doesn't get collected? That's a good point. We should treat everybody right. So we had to get involved with the civic authorities and say, hey, how come you're only picking up trash for the... 
Christians and not so the Muslims. So that's like the American military's job was yeah, to... Yeah, we were, we were peacekeepers, well, so yes. peace enforcement operations. Another one was mm. uh, bread. There was a, a local bakery that was partially government-funded to provide bread, one loaf of bread every week to every household in that community. Well, again, you had a situation where this time the, mm. the Muslims were getting bread, but the Christians weren't getting bread. So we have to come in and, you know, we drink lots of chai and, and sit around and talk about our families and our life back home, and, and then we get down to business. You know, this problem with the bread is becoming a problem. And, uh, and we, we, have to distribute, we have to distribute the bread equally. Everybody gets a loaf of bread. Right. Uh, same thing with trash and the same thing with water. You know, how come this, this neighborhood has clean water running, but this neighborhood doesn't? Well, they don't have pipes. Well, why don't they have pipes? Well, they're broken from the war. Well, why aren't they repaired? We gave you money to repair them. Yeah. You repaired this neighborhood, but not this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember a Serbian officer came up to me and he says, he says, sir, I don't understand. I don't understand how an 18-year-old American soldier can come into a village and make fair decisions like that. How does he know? How does he know what's right and what's fair? Hmm. That's a great question, isn't it? Yeah. And I remember saying to him, well... I think it goes back to how we're raised, not only our families, but our communities. Simple things like learning to stand in line at a water fountain in kindergarten. You know, you don't cut, you stand in line, you take your turn. Uh, mm -hmm. Standing in line to get your food at the cafeteria and everybody gets the same, same food when you go through the cafeteria line, right? And you get out on the playground and you see kids bullying on a kid with, a, with crutches. Well, why is it that some kids are bullying, but other kids say, that's wrong, stop it, and they intervene. Mm -hmm. Why is that? So some of that's family background, some of it's, but it's immaturity, some, there's, there's a lot of different elements, but yeah. if you don't hold kids accountable when they're young, they won't grow up to know the difference between right and wrong. Well, now I'd like to close with a few thoughts about trauma. You've heard what Maria said. And of course, I'm not an expert on any of this, but I did have some thoughts I'd like to share. And I thought of three kinds of trauma. And the first one I would say is true trauma, if I may say that. A trauma like a gunshot. If a person is shot by another person, there is a deep wound. And someone has caused great harm when they shoot you with a gun. And so the true trauma would be like a gunshot. It's when someone or some circumstance causes really great harm. And then the person or the circumstance that caused that harm moves on, dissipates, ends. But we are still left with a wound. We really are a victim of an attack or some trauma that is outside of ourselves. And one thing that we heard Mari talk about in those cases and I mentioned, too, is uh, found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Carefully guard your heart, for therein flow the springs of life. Another translation says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Another thought that comes to my mind is that we should not let bitterness take root. And as Maury said, we need to talk about it. We need to go to other people. We need to get help and take time. So that's true trauma, and I think many of us don't experience that kind of trauma. 
for instance, the pastors in Congo, they have had to flee their homes. Uh, Some have lost their lives. A pastor and his wife and 12 members of his congregation have been killed. And then their friends are going through similar traumas, having to flee. Not too long ago, I received a video from Congo of people fleeing when the killers were burning and murdering in a town. Everybody's running and screaming and vehicles are on fire and houses are on fire. And that's really terrible. There's another kind of trauma, and I sort of put it in air quotes, because I think that people have sometimes self-inflicted wounds, and they call it trauma, and they want to respond to it like trauma, but it's actually self-inflicted. And there's a scripture that came to mind as I thought about this. I'll start in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. It takes a little while to get to the point I want to pull out of this scripture, but it's good to get the context of it. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, well, there's a lot there, but we're still not to the point I'm trying to make. (laughs) But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So I'll emphasize that again. People who want to get rich can fall into a temptation and a trap with foolish and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction. Here's a familiar verse, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So I'll emphasize the second part of verse 10 here. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. I think we can say also, some people, eager for other things, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We bear the consequences of our own actions. We bear the consequences of our sin very often, and those consequences can be very painful. We can wander from the faith and pierce ourselves with many griefs, and yet we're responsible for that. We have pierced ourselves with many griefs. There may be a sort of trauma involved in that, but it's not the same as a gunshot that's been inflicted on me by some other party. What's the response to this sort of grief or trauma or difficulty. Repentance is the response. However, some people respond with what I think nowadays is called a victim mentality. They're responsible for their own hardships in some ways, 
and yet they claim to be a victim completely and don't take that responsibility on themselves. Yet here we see in Scripture, in particular, a desire for money and an eagerness for money can draw us away from the faith, and then we pierce ourselves with many griefs. Again, the response there, I believe, is repentance. To turn to God, stop looking to money as our support, but to look to God as our support. And verse 11 says quite clearly, flee from all this. Flee from the eagerness for money, the desire for money. Flee from that and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love, endurance and gentleness. The third thing I want to mention, and I don't know that this is really a kind of trauma, but I just want to say that life is hard. Everybody goes through really hard things from time to time. And there are just lots of difficult things that happen to us. And the scriptures are very good at talking about how to respond to things that are really, really hard. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 12, the first 13 verses. In Hebrews 11, the writer talks about all the different witnesses of faith, the great people of faith that have gone before us. And then starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, we read, And therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed." One thing that comes to my mind as I read this just now is that Maury is realizing a harvest of righteousness and peace because he's been trained by the hardship that he's been through. Because he's gone through those circumstances really well, he's able to encourage others with the lessons that he's learned. The letter of Hebrews is addressed to people who are suffering because the world is a sinful place. Verse 3, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men. 
And in verse 4 it says, in your struggle against sin. So the struggle against sin is not against personal inward sin. It's a struggle against a sinful, broken world. And we have to remember that hardship can be taken as loving discipline if we will submit our spirits to God. Anything we go through, whatever it is, however terrible it is, the Lord has allowed us to go through that. And his purpose is that we will plant seeds that lead to a harvest of righteousness and peace, and so that we will share in his holiness. Elizabeth Elliot says, Suffering is never for nothing. Amen. And the Lord wants us to endure hardship as discipline. If I need to repent, then I need to repent. If you're a victim of a, quote, gunshot, unquote, then carefully guard your heart. If you suffer because you live in a sinful world, take heart. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, God promises that there is a harvest of righteousness and peace if we will let ourselves be trained by the hardships that he's allowed into our lives. God will use every circumstance to move us deeper into his presence, character, and will. Well, until next time, friends, I pray that we would continue to learn more and more about our loving Father and how to press through and how to respond to traumatic situations that he's allowed into our lives. I pray that you will have a heart that is open to whatever instruction he has for you in the midst of trouble. And may the Lord help you to minister to others who suffer as he brings them into your life. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.